0: Verse 6 of Galatians chapter 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. and especially to those who are the household of faith. May God bless the reading of His Word and the preaching of His Word. Oh, good morning. morning. I trust that your heart has been blessed by the singing of God's praises, as mine has, and through the reading of the Word, as we have been doing this morning, as well as the Supplications we've been making for one another, but particularly for ourselves as we come into this time of looking into God's Word. And I trust you are in Galatians chapter 6, as we'll be looking at just a few verses. As if you've had the opportunity to sit through the study that we've been going through this particular letter that Paul wrote to the church at Galatia, as I have, perhaps you have had some of the same thoughts that I've had about, particularly about legalism. We live in a part of the country that is oftentimes labeled as being sometimes legalistic. There are a lot of churches that have that uh, kind of banner hanging outside. They don't intend for that to be the case. Uh, and perhaps we're e- easy to uh, judge them and then look at them and say, well, yeah, those people over there, they have these rules and regulations, or they live a certain way, or they have these standards, or they expect a certain amount of people. But legalism goes well beyond that. And I hope that as we've gone through this, past, this book together, uh, mainly through Pastor Tim's teaching, but also Brother Nathan and Pastor Chad as well, that we've picked up on more than that being what legalism is. Legalism is really anything in which I'm trying to attain or to find approval from God in something beyond Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished for me on the cross and through the resurrection from the grave. But you may have run into a lot of people in the course of your life, as I have, who grew up in churches that were that way. In that they were trying to impress one another as they impressed God. Even their very participation and attendance in church was in some way a badge of honor before God saying that, you know, I've given up my Sunday morning, I'm not playing golf I'm not sleeping in late. I'm not working. I'm actually coming to church as if some way saying, God, aren't you pleased with me? And that's just the beginning. Then it goes through a list of rules that I dress a certain way or my hair looks a certain way where I don't go to certain places or I do certain things and somehow God is finding all of this favor throughout my life and he's getting so happy when he sees me doing all these wonderful things in his name and, and everybody's just going to be thrilled to death that boy, aren't they growing as a Christian? And before you know it, we're filled with pride and arrogance, thinking that we've accomplished something. Even to the point that when we don't do the things that we had been doing, or especially when we find somebody who's not doing those things that we're doing, then it's easy to... God's mad with you. God certainly can't be happy with your life. You're not going to be able to be blessed. You're not, And we start tearing people down because of the fact that they're not living up to our standards that we have created. Or perhaps it's the other extreme. Maybe it's the the one that you know, or perhaps the one we are ourselves, where we find ourselves doing so much service. We're doing so many good things for people. We're volunteering, and we're helping out where it's needed, and, and we're doing all different types of things to help the welfare of other people. To the point where we're hoping that these are just simply tokens upon which God one day will put them on the scale and weigh them out finding us to be okay. Or at least better than what we could have been. Thinking that somehow that's what we're all to live for. No wonder if what I have just said is true for the most part. I realize I'm speaking in general terms, but if that's true, no wonder there are so many young people, teenagers, college-age students that are fleeing the church. Who wants to live under those rules and regulations that they can't keep? If they can't keep their parents happy, how in the world would they ever keep God happy? Well, why do I want to spend all my time giving and volunteering for other people's welfare, what about me? There's nothing cool about that. There's nothing worth me investing in. And so they depart. And maybe when they get to be about my age, they start thinking, well, you know what? I'm not able to have the fun that I used to have. Maybe there is something more serious for me to live for. So maybe I better start straightening up and Then they fall right back into the same routines of doing the good deeds and and living for others so that, again, what? God may be happy with me somehow. Maybe you don't think in those terms. Maybe we have gone through this study of the book of Galatians and you have not thought of any of those things. And maybe I'll be preaching to myself today. (laughs) But if there's any sense of Reality of those truths resonating in your hearts and your minds. I trust that we will find hope in the scriptures today. I hope that we will find that there's so much more than trying to impress God. That there's so much more. That we, like Paul says, why have you been so foolish to let people deceive you in leaving the grace that we have found in Jesus Christ? So let's ask God's help to do that today. Father, thank you that you have not left me to somehow entertain or to cause people to think about good things. But Lord, you've, you've given me your word. And Lord, even that word is self-sufficient. It does not need me at all. You're the one who gives ears to hear. You're the one who gives eyes to see. So I pray for that today. That your spirit, who inspired your word, would impress upon your people the truth that will make us more like Jesus today. I pray that if should should there be someone here who is far from you, someone who is still an enemy to you, someone who is still living in their sin, someone who is still apart from grace, I pray that your spirit would convince them, Lord, of their sin, but they would find oh such a sweet Savior in Jesus Christ, and find that what He has accomplished for us on the cross is sufficient it satisfies your need for justification it fulfills everything that's required in the law and that we would find joy and hope in that today that we would live a life that you've called us to live a life to do good not for our own sakes not in our own strength but by your will and according to the purposes that you've given to each of us as your people, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Here in passage of Scripture, and this is a smaller passage of Scripture than I had the, the privilege of preaching before, I'm not sure if that's because they were hoping the sermon to be shorter, <laughs> but I don't think that will be the case today. <laughs> but here in our passage of Scripture, uh, we find what I believe to be a call to do good very practical portion of scripture. In some ways a very familiar passage of scripture. But within the context of the letter that Paul wrote here, I trust trust that it will be a very inspiring portion and that we will leave here better equipped to serve Jesus Christ in a way that's pleasing to him than we were before we came. Verse 6, we begin, the one who has taught the word is to share all good things. Now, This is the first of three things I'd like for us to consider in doing good. The first being sharing with our teachers. The second being understanding the truth about reaping. And then the third thing, seizing our opportunities. Pastor Chad did a wonderful job a couple of weeks ago as he he dealt with the fruit of the Spirit and how that and walking and keeping step with the Spirit is the way we should live. That's the way we should leave leave an impact on the world in which we live producing spiritual fruit, that which is eternal, that which is kingdom fruit, in that the sons and daughters of, of the king are always amazed by grace. They never graduate beyond that point to the, where we lack our need or in our lack and our desire for grace. And it's marked with love. And we cooperate with the Spirit, bringing others to Christ. And here in this portion, we see how that is to be lived out. And that begins with the one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Being able to understand that we are to share with the teacher good things. Good things of, of good, we, we, when that, this word that's translated good here is one that speaks of moral goodness. That which is uh, in, integrity, things that, that have a basic nature of being good. When we think of God, we think of him being good. When Jesus was approached and someone said, Good teacher, then Jesus' response is, Why do you call me good? There is none good but God. Perhaps somebody asked you this morning when you came to church, How are you doing? And your response was, Well, I'm good. This is not going to be an English grammar lesson as to how we should use the word good and compare it to well. But when we think of that, we, we don't think anything that I'm telling somebody, Well, I'm good. We think that, well, things are going good for me. In that same context, we should always keep in mind that there really isn't anything good except that which comes from God. When we think about the fruit of the Spirit, one of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, not one of the fruit, remember Pastor Chad said it was all one fruit, different aspects of it, but one of those aspects is goodness. That which is innately good, that which is wholesome. So the one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches. So there's a couple of observations like for us to make here in this, in this one verse. First of all, being taught the word is no small thing. The word here being taught is literally to sound down into someone's ear. It's kind of like when you're in the shower and and, and you turn your head the wrong way and, and water rushes into your... That's irritating, right? I experienced vertigo apparently doing that a little bit too excessively once and that's not fun at all. But it's the idea of taking sound and pouring it into somebody's ear. In other words, you're indoctrinating someone. So when Paul says the one who has taught the word, he's not just simply the one who sits around and listens to somebody tell stories. Or someone who gleans some, some truths from somebody's illustrations. But he's talking to somebody who is actually having the word poured into their ear. Someone who is being taught how to believe. Someone who is taught what the truth is. And the word there also is this while there are two or three different words that are often used in the New Testament, they're translated word or writings. This is the one that is also translated for Jesus Christ. Is the word. In the beginning was the logos. In the beginning was the revelation, the disclosure of information. The one, the word. So I think it is not taking it too far here to make it clear that Paul, when he's talking about sharing all good things with the teacher, he's speaking about the teacher who is teaching the word as we have it in God's Word. The truth. Not news articles and current events and how they relate to life or psychological gleanings from somebody of how our life can be better. But someone who is teaching the word. The word of God. So that the one who is taught the word should share all good things with the one who teaches. So let's begin by, first of all, making it clear that it's no small thing to teach the word of God. The context that we have... Uh, that Pastor Chad spoke of in earlier in Chapter Six of, of of a mature one who is coming along, and when you find someone who's fallen into sin, to to help bear their burdens, I think that's within the context of the word that you have those who are helping, and that you examine your work and lest you have a reason to boast, because it should be done from the word. So if we are being taught the word then Paul says that we have a reason to share all good things with the one who teaches. Which brings to the second observation I'd like to, to note here, is the right response to the teaching is no small thing. Let's, let's not pass this off as maybe a text that, that defends uh, the church's role in paying the pastor or the teacher. Is this just some budgetary item that, well, we need to make sure we're paying him something because, after all, he studies during the week and he shares with us, so we need to pay him something. It's not that simple. And let's face it, if we do that, we're not doing any service to the one who teaches, right? Because we're just being flippant about it. But that is included here. This this term share is often used in financial terms. It's the word that we get fellowship from. To communicate, to distribute. But the overarching idea is to be a partaker with. That so when someone teaches me the word, that I should share with him all good things, not just financially, which that I believe is part of it, but it's much greater than that. Again, if you look at the first part of chapter 6, you see some of that where you're sharing. The burdens are being shared. But even more than that, one commentary puts it this way, and I like it, and that's the reason why I included it in the sermon. The true minister of Christ counts this vastly more sacred and has this interest far more at heart than his own temporalities. He labors for the unity of the church, He strives to secure the mutual sympathy and cooperation of all orders and ranks, teachers and taught, officers and private members, in every good and work and word. He must have the heart of his people with him in his work, or his joy will be faint and his success scant indeed. You can tell this was written a long time ago. We don't use words like that anymore. Christian teaching is designed to awaken this sympathetic response, and it will take expression in the rendering of whatever kind of help the gifts and means of the hearer and the needs of the occasion call for. So let me simplify all that. The teacher, and I believe that we have pastors who feel very much this way that as they serve, as they teach us, they have us in their heart. That they have our good in mind. That they have God's will in mind. And they teach us from truth because they realize that our lives are too important to give us anything else. And in doing so, when they teach us, that we should be willing to just pour our lives right back into them, saying, thank you. This is what I needed. This is how it's working. And I want to share the joy of the word working in my life that you share with me with you. Parents, is there anything more joyful for you that when you're teaching your child, and particularly when they get into the teenage years, that they start reflecting back to you, thanks for teaching me that. Thanks for showing me that. Now sometimes it may happen when they're 20 or 30 or 40 and they go back and say, well, thank you for that. But it's coming one day, I promise. But the teacher needs more than financial support from us. As much as they invest our lives in us, we should be investing our lives right back into them, sharing with them all good things. Not just what comes in our wallet or our checkbook, but all good things. It's real easy. Well, sometimes it's not real easy. At one o'clock in the morning, say, you know, I've got a great need. I'm at the hospital. I've got a family member who's on their deathbed. I've got a tragic some event that's just happened in my life. And so let me call up the pastor. Where's, where's that phone number at? I'm glad I got that on speed dial because I would never remember. Where's the bulletin at? I don't have their phone number. Word. And we call them and we share all the what we consider bad things, right? Oh, pastor, we need help. Pastor, I need prayer. Pastor, can you tell the folks at church to pray for us? Pastor, you know, I don't know what we're going to do in this situation. Pastor, can you help us? And I can tell you from experience, they're happy to do it. That's, that's part of their work. But oh, how our pastors, I'm sure, how the teachers would love to hear a word. You know what, pastor, I just want to let you know. Not only did I think that was a good message, because they hear that when they go out, when you, when you leave and you say, oh, thank you for the word. Oh, yeah, thank you. That was a great job. That was a great message. What they really like to hear on Wednesday or Thursday Pastor, let me just share with you what's going on in my life. And how that word you gave in that Christian growth group or that word that you gave during the sermon on Sunday, let me just kind of flesh that out for you. I think you will enjoy this. That's sharing all good things. Sharing the work. But that requires not just teaching, not just listening, but that takes living it out. So sharing with the teacher, understanding that being taught the word is no small thing, but also responding correctly to the teaching is no small thing either. And I believe that's what Paul is addressing here. Now if I want to deal with it on that side, I also have to address this one, because I, I, you know, I'll be honest, and this may be flesh, but hopefully that's, that's the truth too. I like taking shots at those who are not doing this correctly, because there's some people in this world, and particularly in our culture, who feed saying, hey, I'm teaching you something, then you need to give me something back. you often find them on TV. <laughs> Sometimes you'll find them in a bookstore. But how corrupt and how wicked it is for people to, in the name of Jesus Christ, play on the sympathies of people who would want to share all good things with the one who teaches them, but yet all they're getting it's filth. All they're getting is heresy in many cases. And it saddened my heart that not two years ago, but just flipping through because I'm easily entertained, so I'll flip through channels and watch religious so called religious channels and during a praise a thon love those names, right? It's gotta make you want to give. But watching a well-known, conservative, evangelical pastor who some of you may even listen to regularly on that broadcast speak praises to the work of those who owned TBN. I'm sorry. If you don't understand that there's some theological issues with the leadership. Now I'm not saying that everything that's on TBN is this way because let's face it, we live in a world where we want to spread the gospel and there are some good ministries that find that an outlet to do that very thing. But when you have leadership who has no clue of who the Holy Spirit is, they still think it's an it. They still think it's some force to to manipulate God's will. When you have those who feel that Jesus Christ died on a cross so that I could live a prosperous life on this earth, that's wrong. And when we, as conservative, theologically speaking, evangelicals are saying, not only is this a means for me to get my message out, but they're doing a good job, they're doing God's work. Being taught the word is no small thing and responding correctly is no small thing. In verse 7 we find Paul moving on to say do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows that will he also reap. We need to understand the truth about reaping. God stands in judgment of that which we sow. Will be judged according to His laws. Now, to determine whether or not we we have a good grasp on this concept, we have to ask two questions. First of all, what do you expect to reap? Now, earlier Paul has said in chapter five, verse thirteen, that we are not to turn our freedom that we've been given through Christ as an opportunity. We're not to turn that into an opportunity for the flesh. We're not to look at the cross and say, Jesus has died for my sins, I've received his grace, so now I can do whatever I want to. I can just live it up knowing that Christ has paid paid it all. He also warns us that the flesh is going to be an obstacle to doing the right thing. Chapter 5, verse 17. He says for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh for these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Sounds a little bit like our daily Bible reading right from last week. Romans chapter 6. That's what Paul's making very clear. There's a war going on inside of me. Good. Bad. Flesh. Spirit. Temporal. Eternal. A struggle. A struggle. Thankfully, he gives us the answer. Well, actually, I'd like to turn back to Romans chapter 7, verse 18. Normally when you have an asterisk in your notes, it means it's probably an important passage. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. That's the flesh. Right? Have you noticed the struggle? If there's no struggle there, then that should be telling us something. It's not because you're perfect. It's the other way around. You're probably not redeemed. But if you're redeemed by the grace of Jesus Christ, there is struggle that comes in our life. And here in Galatians chapter 6, he tells us that if we're sowing to the flesh, that we can, expect to re- to, we can expect to reap corruption. If we sow to the Spirit, which Paul has also commanded the church to walk by the Spirit. Again, Pastor Chad did a wonderful job. If you weren't here to hear that message, I encourage you to go on the website to listen and walking by the Spirit, and he explains why. Because that, you'll reap eternal life. Now that's not to say that we're going to be saved, that we're going to have an entrance into heaven because we've sown spiritual things in our life. This is, a, this is an address to believers. These are people who are already saved. He's just simply saying that the works that we're doing, we're going to reap them and enjoy them forever, as opposed to that which is going to be corrupt Today, sooner or later. So it's a matter of what am I going to reap? What do I expect to reap? Well, if you're sowing to the flesh, it's very clear. You should expect to reap corruption. If you're sowing according to the Spirit, if you're walking according to the Spirit, then I should expect to reap an eternal fruit. Now, when do you expect to reap it? I grew up on a farm. I parents are here this morning, and so they can, I, I can't quite indulge in maybe how hard I worked on the farm as much as I would normally do and make you feel so sorry for me. But I have proof here that I did not. Uh, so uh, make sure you don't speak to them on the way out or else they will say, wait a minute, that one point, my dad won't hear anything else in this message other than, well, yeah, my son knows how to lie really good. Um, <coughs> My mom will just smile because she loves me. But <laughs> anyway, I did learn enough, and you really don't have to grow up on a farm to know this, that, that, that farming, sowing and reaping isn't for patient people or impatient people. I have a garden at in my backyard. It's a small one. And since they don't live in my house, I can talk all I want to about my garden, how hard I work in my garden. But I'm the kind of person, as soon as I, I plant my garden in the springtime, two days after, I haven't seen any sprouts springing up. And I start to, did I plant it right? Did I put enough fertilizer on it? Did I water it well enough? Because I don't see anything growing yet. Or, you know, you sow your, your seed in, in, the, in your yard and you... Well, after about a week, you still don't see this flourishing grass that you know makes golf courses jealous. And Maybe I need to put more fertilizer on there. I, I did that one year. I didn't have any grass in July because it was burnt up with all the uh, fertilizer. So when we think about sowing and reaping, we're not talking about, I'm going to live for Jesus today and I'm going to get my prize today. Nor... Am I talking about I'm living to the flesh and nobody's caught me and I'm getting away with it so it must be okay, right? I haven't died before midnight or five in the morning, whatever time your sin takes you out. But we have to understand that this concept of sowing and reaping, this living out of life, takes time. That's the reason why Paul says... Let us not lose heart in doing good. Because you may be like me in planting a garden and you say, you know what, well, God, I'm doing the right thing. I'm, I'm trying to live according to your spirit. I'm trying to walk according to the spirit. I'm trying to live by faith. I'm trying not to, to, to let the flesh get in the way. I'm trying to do the right thing according to your word. I'm trying, but what, what good has it done me? As a teenager, God, I'm not doing all the stuff that the teenagers are doing, but I'm the one getting mocked at. I'm, I'm the one who's losing out. The college student, I'm not the one who's joining this group or I'm not going to these places and I'm not doing these things, but yet I'm the one who's missing out. Why is that? I'm the adult. I'm, I'm not doing all the things everybody else is doing. They're not at church this morning. They're sleeping in. They're, you know, going skiing. They're all fat, doing all kinds of whatever. What's in it for me? And Paul says, don't grow weary in doing the right thing. Why? For in due time, just as much as there is a time to plant, if you plant, there will be a time to reap. For in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. If we persevere, if we keep on in walking with the Spirit, if we keep on doing the right thing, we will reap the eternal life that comes from sowing in the Spirit.
1: Well-doing.
0: Now, this is not the same term of good, this is the same word that, Paul, that Jesus used in the parable of the sower. There's good ground. There's good seed. So this is in a general aspect of doing good, but it is doing the right thing. Let's just keep in mind that not only the sowing of the good that waits for the fruit, that is, knowing that it could be until we see Jesus we finally reach and get the reward. But the same thing happens to the corrupt. Back in Jeremiah chapter 12, we often think of why do the wicked prosper right why do they get to have all the fun why do they get to sow their wild oats why do they not have the opportunity to, to reap that which is destruction for them well Jeremiah says in, his, in this 12th chapter verse 1 righteous are you O lord that I would plead my case with you indeed I would discuss matters of justice with you can you imagine do you pray like that God, I'd like to talk to you about your justice. I'd like to talk about the right thing. He says, Why has the way of the wicked prospered? Why are all those who deal in treachery at ease? You have planted them and they have taken root. They grow and they've even produced fruit. You are near to their lips, but far from their mind. But you know me, O oh Lord, and you see me, and you examine my heart, And its attitude towards you drag them off like sheep for the slaughter and set them apart from a day of carnage here Jeremiah is weeping for his people who have been taken away into captivity because of their sin but yet he looks at this kingdom that has taken them exile and says God why are they prospering that's not right why don't you judge them Verse 7, God answers him. I have forsaken my house. I have ab- abandoned mine inheritance. I have given my, the beloved of my soul into the hand of their enemies. My inheritance has become to me like a lion in the forest. She has roared against me. Therefore, I have come to hate her. Wow. Verse 14. Thus says the Lord concerning all my wicked neighbors who strike at the inheritance with which I have endowed my people Israel. Behold, I'm about to uproot them from their land and will uproot the house of Judah from among them. And it will come about that after that, after I have uprooted them, I will again have compassion on them and will bring them back, each one to his inheritance and each one to his land. And if they really learn the ways of my people, now catch this, if they, then if they really learn the ways of my people, to swear by my name as the Lord lives, even as they taught my people to swear by Baal, they will be built up in the midst of my people. not that incredible? I want to judge them, I want to bring it back, but if they really learn something, they're going to get some benefit out of this. However, verse 17, but if they will not listen, then I will uproot that nation, uproot and destroy it, declares the Lord. And we'd be very careful not only to not grow weary in well-doing knowing that the fruit of eternal life will be ours to reap if we just persevere, but to remember that just because we're not judged today that God will not uproot us and that He will not destroy us if we fail to learn of His ways. It just happens to be that our God is long-suffering, He's patient infinitely. He does not strike quickly. He does not judge in haste, but his judgment is just. And in due season, there will be a time of reaping. So hopefully we are here as believers and we are sowing to the Spirit so that we could inherit and that we could reap eternal life. But make no mistake about it, if we are sowing to the flesh, that it will produce corruption. It may not produce corruption this afternoon. It may not corrupt or be showing corruption in a week. You may have lived in months of sowing to the flesh and you have not reaped any corruption yet. But that fruit will come. So let us have a proper understanding about the truth of reaping. Now, may we be as the psalmist in Psalm 90 verse 12. That we would say, Lord, teach me to number my days. Knowing that there is a season of both sowing and reaping that I may apply my heart to wisdom. That I may know how to learn right and live right that I may sow according to the spirit, not according to the flesh give me wisdom about that God, teach me to number my days so I'll know when I need to be planting and sowing and give me wisdom to know that there is a day of reaping that will come and then I will re- be rewarded for that which I do, according to the spirit, now you may think, through all this where does the gospel come in this, because isn't the gospel saying that even though I'm a sinner I can reap the reward of eternal life by doing nothing, right? I mean, does that contradict this law of sowing and reaping? That I'm a sinner shouldn't I get judgment? Well, yeah, that's true. However, the gospel is the perfect picture of sowing and reaping because it's not us who is sowing. It is Jesus Christ who has sown according to the Spirit, so that what He died for, guess what? He's going to reap. And that's us. The church. Those who are purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will reap exactly what He sowed through His death, through His resurrection on the cross, so that the gospel is perfectly pictured. Not in what we're sowing, but what He sowed. What he gave himself for, what he died for, he will reap for our benefit. Now, last point here is to seize the opportunity. Paul says, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good. Again, we go back to that same word from verse 6. Let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. As we have opportunity, there, is, there are a couple of different words for, for season or time. Now, this particular word is specific. It's a proper time. Just like in the springtime, if you go by the farmer, Farmer's Almanac, there will be dates saying, this is when you need to plant this. This is when you need to plant this. This is what the moon should be like when you plant this. There's a season for opportunity. So Paul says, as we have the opportunity... Again, that's where, Lord, uh, help me to number my days so I can apply my heart to wisdom. Help me know when, when I need to be planning now. Maybe this part of my life, I need to be planning in this person now. Maybe this is an opportunity for me to be serving someone here now. Lord, give me understanding about that. So that as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Cotton Mather, a... Puritan scholar said the opportunity to do good imposes the obligation to do it. And I think that's what the scriptures teach us. The fact that we have an opportunity says you should be doing something. Not, well you have an opportunity, it's up to you, you know, it doesn't matter because, well, Jesus Christ is coming back one day. If you take this opportunity, it's no big deal. No, when we have an opportunity given to us, we need to take it. As we have opportunity, let us do good. Now what does that mean? I work for a company who is very active in working with the United Way. The office that I work at, of approximately 800 employees, has been one of the highest contributors to the United Way from a corporate perspective over the last couple of years. We've given over $100,000 In contributions over the last couple of years to the United Way, you know they provide health services, you know for cancer victims to you know hospice care. Uh, They help out with education. They help out with crisis control where people can't pay their bills. Yeah, they assist the Red Cross in you know, emergency efforts they, they support big brothers big sisters that give uh, you know, some assistance to teenagers who may be at risk of being you know, criminals one day uh, they help homeless people they, they provide job services you know, they help with the, S- the Second Harvest Food Bank to provide food for people they do all kinds of good stuff and there are a lot of people who are church people that find this a wonderful avenue. It, you know, you could, they might get mad at somebody saying you need to be tithing to your church, but man, let me pull out the wallet when it comes to United Way. Now, lest you think that this is bashing the United Way, let me move on before I start bashing the United Way. But Paul says... You should be doing good to all people. The church, not the government, not corporate entities, not a bunch of individuals tied up in red tape administrating costs to other people, but you, as you have opportunity, do good to all people. Now you have to consider what's good. And we could spend another 45 minutes talking about that by itself. But let me tell you what would not be good. Because if we were to listen to this and say, hey, well let's just take up the banner and instead of the United Way, let's just, the church start doing all that kind of stuff. If we did that short of communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ, we would be doing a greater disservice to people. Because there's two sad things. One thing is that people who do these things find themselves accumulating their wealth before God, saying, God, look at all the money I gave and look at all the help I gave to people for their temporal needs, as if that was going to save me or give me some good standing before God. The second sad thing would be for the people who receive that, thinking that that's life. I'm not hungry today, so therefore my life is good. Without knowing that I may not be hungry, my life now may be good, but I'm destined for hell. And I'm still in my sin. And I'm still lost without a Savior at odds with the Creator who gave me life. And I'm destined to pay that judgment. With the wrath of God being poured out on me, except for the fact that Jesus Christ loved me enough to die for me so that I may be free. Without that message, it's not good. But Paul goes on to say, not only should we do good to everyone, but especially the household of faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I told you this wasn't going to be any shorter than the first time. First uh, Corinthians chapter eight, Paul speaks about those in Macedonia who had an opportunity to do good to the church in Jerusalem. In Second Corinthians chapter one, chapter eight verse one, Now brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia that in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Even though they didn't have a lot, they gave as much as they could. So that in verse 24, Paul says, Therefore, openly before the churches, show them the proof of your love and of our reason for boasting about you. So there's a means in which we, as the body of Christ, should be sharing with other believers, doing good to them by helping them in their time of Poverty. But it goes even beyond that. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. The writer of Hebrews says, But remember the former days when, after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. What was going on? There were Christians that were suffering, but alongside of them were other believers who said, you know what? I'm going to share in your suffering, even if it means I go to jail, just for sharing with you your suffering. Out of love. Knowing that they had a greater reward. Later in chapter 13, in verse 16, the writer of Hebrews says, and do not neglect doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Let's not misunderstand that when we do good, especially to the household of faith, that it could require sacrifice. Shouldn't that have an ease? Well, you know what, I've got a little extra. Let me give somebody who, you know, who's suffering. When we think about uh, Christians in other parts of the world who are suffering when you think about a pastor in Iran who's being arrested unjustly simply for wanting to build an orphanage are we suffering with him? When we think about a missionary who's going to a very hard part of the country or the world in a country that's Muslim Where he's risking his life. Are we we sharing with him? It's real easy to think about the person who's across the street and maybe I can just give them something to eat and and that's okay. How about other believers who are in the same situation but worse, they're in prison. They're people who have lost their lives. people who have been beheaded. People who have been in prison. uh, Tortured. In communist prison camps because they're Christians. What good are we doing them? Are we sharing with them? Now, I don't want to make you upset that you won't be able to eat lunch today. But folks, we need to think about doing good to all people, especially to the household of faith. Because there's a reward that goes along with that. Even if it means I suffer. Even if it means I go to jail. Then in Philippians chapter 4, Paul talks about how those who shared with him towards the end of his life and that while God will supply all my needs through Christ Jesus, let me thank you for helping me. That's Paul's words. So we have examples of script in Scripture of how we should Love to the point of of doing good to all people. That's how we sow according to the Spirit. But that requires us to love these people. And there's nobody we should love more than the household of faith. If we love them, we'll be mindful of them. We'll be praying for them. We'll be getting into trenches with them. The hymn that Ask Pastor Chad if he would close the service with today. Gives us some lyrics, some words where perhaps it will you know put some you know action as we sing them to our thoughts. But the but it talks about our devotion to the church, the house of thine abode. It tells us that we sing the church was saved with the precious blood of the Redeemer, therefore it should be precious to us. It speaks so much that we shed tears for her, pray for her, and give ourselves to her cares and tolls until cares and tolls are over. Do we love the church that much that we will do good? You see, the legalist has it all wrong. The Judaizers miss the point. They think that they do good, that they do what they do to impress God. And it's a joke. Humanly speaking, tragically, divinely speaking, But there's a true believer who's walking according to the Spirit, sowing according to the Spirit, is going to do good because I love my brother. I love my sister. I love that lost person so much that I want to communicate to them the love of Jesus Christ up to the cross. I want to be Jesus to them. Father, I pray that that's what we all long for. That to whomever we come in contact with, that we want to be Jesus to them. We are his body. And He lives out His purposes through us according to the Spirit, Lord. So I pray that as we walk by the Spirit and that our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ grows and our love for a lost and dying world grows, that we would find ourselves doing good and that we would do so not growing weary, but know that we have a reward, that it's sowing a fruit of eternal life and that we would reap that one day. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.